All right, it is time to jump back into our study on the first five chapters of the book of Acts. So get your Bibles out, open up your Bible apps. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, you're going to need one to follow along in. Just go ahead and put your hand up, and our ushers are coming around. They have Bibles that you can use to follow along in. And if you are receiving one of those Bibles and you currently don't have a Bible of your own, please keep the one that you receive and take it with you um, and, and dig into it. There is an awful lot there that we can benefit from. Okay, I don't know about you, but I am exhausted from the testimonies. Um, it was what, a, what an incredible thing to be a part of uh, in our church family is those opportunities to share who God is to us and what he's doing in our lives. And I would encourage you um, to share those. And, and the way to do that is through social media. You can share um, our this service will be on our Facebook page, as always, and on our YouTube channel. Um, get it out there to other people so that they can hear these stories and be impacted by them and see what God does on a regular basis in people's lives. So um, do that, and uh, again, come and join us at the lake after we're done here. Uh, well, it, uh, it was good to get away, and it's good to be back. Um, thank you for the prayers for our vacation time. We had a good trip overall. It was great to see my parents again uh, up in Canada, out in British Columbia. I hadn't seen them since last summer, and it had been longer than that for the rest of my family. Um, so we had some good times together. We shared a lot of family memories, especially now that my parents are living in Canada again, right in the area where I grew up. Um, got to visit some places I hadn't seen in decades. Um, got to enjoy the Rockies, the Pacific Ocean, and a lot more. Um, but... The visit ended with the reality that between our stage of life right now and my parents' age and health concerns, this may have been the last time for us to be together as these three generations of our family. And so that was hard. And then when we got home, we delivered one of our sons to college in Iowa, and we're going to deliver another one tomorrow to his school. Uh, lots of emotion in our family right now. These are the kinds of seasons that hopefully bring to mind the beauty of God's promise of eternity. We can dwell in the sadness of loss and change, or we can grieve because this is hard. We can grieve those things as people who do not grieve without hope. I will spend eternity with my parents. I know that. I will spend eternity with my sons. This isn't the end for us. It's just a transition. And in the midst of the constant transition, which we all face, God has a purpose for us. The past two Sundays, God has affirmed his purpose for us. Both Betsy and the Trumans reminded us that God calls us to make him known in word and in deed. We've been reminded that he equips us to carry out his calling. We've been reminded that it's God's plan for us to love the people around us in a hospital where we struggle through life's realities, in a world full of lonely, displaced people, and in countless other places and situations. Life is one big opportunity. I won't say that life is full of opportunities. Life itself, life itself is an opportunity from start to finish. From the moment that we're born, and on vacation we saw the hospital where I was born, to the moment that we die or a loved one dies, life is an opportunity 
to make God known. He made himself known to us and he makes himself known to others through us in all kinds of situations, all the time. One of the most incredible truths about that is the beautiful reality that we are not on our own in order to make that happen. We have not been left alone. It's not by our own strength. It's not by our own wisdom. In fact, we're not even just looking for God's help to make him known. Our job is making ourselves available to God and aligning ourselves with his purpose. Then he takes over. And because his spirit lives in us, God does the work. The power needed for the task of making him known is his power. This morning we get to see that truth affirmed in the fourth chapter of the book of Acts. So turn there now. Acts chapter 4 and verse 23. This passage is a continuation of something that we looked at a few weeks back. This is still the aftermath of the healing of a man who was lame from birth and encountered by Peter and John at the temple gate. That event where the man was healed had quite a ripple effect. There was the ripple of thousands of people giving their lives to Jesus. There was also the ripple of making the religious leaders mad. Betsy led us through the passage where the religious leaders were questioning Peter and John and then threatening them. Granted, Peter and John had just accused them of crucifying God's son, the one who brought salvation to the world, so they were not thrilled with the whole situation. But they warned Peter and John to stop speaking or teaching or healing in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. And then this happened. Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31. This is what it says. When they were released, Peter and John, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had, plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed... The place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now as I look at our journey through these chapters in Acts, this is, this is an interesting turn of events for me. There are a number of directions this could have taken. But this is what happened and I think it's very unique. So let's break it down a bit and I'll show you what I saw here. Peter and John come back from being detained overnight and then threatened by the religious authorities, the religious rulers, elders, scribes, high priests, and members of the high priest family. They're all in attendance for this. Peter and John have been very direct with them. They're released, 
And they returned to their friends, presumably the rest of the disciples that they had been with since Jesus was, uh, went back to heaven. They tell everyone all about what happened to them. The rest of the disciples heard their story and for the next several hours, the disciples ranted and complained about how the religious leaders had no right to tell them not to speak, and they certainly had no right to threaten them. The disciples bombarded social media with negative emojis, declaring their disgust and disapproval of the local religious establishments and leadership. They cried out on Yelp and whatever other social media critiquing sites existed back then. They contacted some well-known Christian journalists and had them wordsmith their complaints for maximum effect. They hired several lawyers to take up the matter with the justice system of the day screaming about the violation of their rights. And unfortunately, we don't have pictures of them taking to the streets because, well, because that's as ridiculous as everything else I've just said. The disciples, having heard all about what happened to Peter and John, took the matter straight to God. And they took it to God in a spirit of worship. Yes, I said worship. God had first place in their lives. Someone spoke out, leading the group in prayer, affirmed by the amens of the rest, and God was invited into the center of all of it in an amazing way. You see anything we can learn from this? Peter and John's social rights were violated, and the response was prayer and praise on the part of the church. And that prayer is just as unexpected as the choice of spontaneous prayer. This group of believers was unified from the get-go and responded together by lifting their voices to God. They begin with an acknowledgement of who God is. They address him as sovereign Lord. They address God as the one with all the power and all the authority. Not the one pulling on the puppet strings. They acknowledge that God and God alone is able to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants to do it. There is no limit to his authority or his power or how he uses both. And those who claimed in this situation to have authority had none. Consider starting your prayers with this title sometime. Sovereign Lord. Agree with him that he has all the authority and he has all the power. No matter what's been done to you, even things that really hurt, speak to God as your sovereign Lord, affirming that absolute authority and power belong to him and him alone. The disciples add that their sovereign Lord is the only one capable of creating heaven and earth. Everything that exists in creation came from him. There is no human power or authority that can come even close to claiming that. Then they mention something that their ancestor David said. Now, haven't we seen this connection several times already? <laughs> David's name carried a lot of weight. Yet even here, David's role is limited to being the vessel through which God's Spirit spoke. And the disciples quote David's words from Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2. Why did the Gentiles rage? 
why did those who were once enemies of God's people act like grumpy horses? Bible scholar William Barclay gives us some context of this word rage. He says, they may trample and toss their heads. In the end, they will have to accept the discipline of the reins. That is such a great picture. Humans act like grumpy horses, stomping our feet and shaking our manes, fighting the reality that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. They'll have no ground to stand on before the Holy King. Verse 27 sets up the, the odds that were stacked against Jesus. It mentions Herod and Pilate who on the day Jesus was crucified joined forces and became friends rather than enemies for the very first time. This is who Jesus was up against, the kings of the earth. But something seemingly insignificant to this world like God's anointing was enough to set Jesus far above the kings of the earth. What God intended for Jesus was fulfilled in spite of what the earth's rulers, religious and political rulers alike, might have thought that they were accomplishing. And he's done this countless times throughout history. God proved that his plans were the only plans that mattered. What appeared back then, when Jesus was crucified, as a loss, God was working through to accomplish his plan. What may have looked like a significant defeat for Jesus was the most substantial victory in all of history. Salvation entered the world through the valley of Jesus' suffering. And yes, that truth applies to our lives as well. No suffering that we ever endure will be great enough to place our lives outside of God's redemptive power and his ability to bring significant victory out of what we may see as devastating loss. Our sovereign Lord is always our sovereign Lord. He holds absolute authority and absolute power. As our vacation came to a close last week, um, I had to be reminded of this. The struggles that my parents are facing, and my sisters as well, um, do not have the final say. My sovereign Lord has the authority and the power to accomplish his will, no matter how hard life may be. My response to their circumstances has to be the same response the disciples in our story had. I take this straight to God. I declare him sovereign. I declare his will to be the one that matters. I declare that salvation came through the suffering of Jesus. So whatever they're facing is well within God's ability to redeem for his good purpose. Verse 29 marks the start of the church's request. This is what they're asking God for. Listen carefully to this and put it in your own context. This is profound. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Okay, let's be honest about our own circumstances. In the context of speaking the truth about Jesus, there's a common thread that runs through every study that's been done on why the church struggles so much to shine the light of Christ into the darkness. 
we have our own struggle with boldness. There are many reasons for our struggle. We live in a culture that frowns on followers of Jesus sharing the gospel with others. Talking about our faith is forbidden in many settings. We struggle because the enemy works us over, telling us that we're not good enough or smart enough or whatever lie he's telling us. We struggle because we're afraid. We're afraid of being rejected, afraid of being humiliated, afraid of messing it up. We struggle because of selfishness, pride, a lack of compassion or empathy, and on the list goes. So what do we do with this struggle? Well, we do what the disciples in our passage today did. We ask God to stand in the gap for us and face whatever it is that's causing us to struggle. We ask God to look upon the threats, the restrictions, the lies, the fear, the apathy. We ask him to stand face to face with our obstacles and do what only he can do. The disciples asked God to provide them with boldness. And it's important that we understand what boldness really means. We're not talking about a human's ability to drum up enough courage to face what's in front of them. Boldness is freedom. We're asking for freedom from whatever's holding us back. Freedom to speak. Freedom to cheerfully communicate truth. God deals with the obstacles himself, and as he does, he fills us with his spirit, and by his power, we are free to speak. And not just speak with fear and trembling, we speak cheerfully. The disciples also affirmed that God would continue to do what he does. Verse 30 starts with the word, while. God, while you continue to work to redeem all things and prove your presence and power, give us the freedom to speak your truth whenever we're presented with an opportunity. And note that there is no focus here on making this a fight for our rights. There is no focus on defeating our enemies. The struggle is handed over to God who continues to prove his presence and power and we simply ask for freedom to speak. And as we do, we're reminded that God promises to give us the words to say through the incredible fact that God's spirit is living in us and is more than ready to provide the words. Peter and John certainly faced obstacles when it came to speaking the truth. All followers of Jesus face obstacles. But every obstacle, no matter how great or small, comes from the enemy and the battle against the enemy belongs to who? To the Lord. So let him have it. Ask God to look upon your obstacles. It's all we need to do, church. If God looks upon something, whatever it is that he's looking at already has no chance. We don't need to fight that battle. This prayer that the believers prayed when Peter and John returned to them and told them their story needs to find its way into our lives. This is part of God's ongoing lesson on prayer. This is a prayer for boldness, for freedom. And God is inviting us to pray the same prayer today. How do we know that he's inviting us to do this? Well, 
I think verse 31 here is enough evidence for us. God affirmed their decision to pray this prayer by shaking the building where they were gathered. The ground shook when Moses led the Israelites to meet God at Mount Sinai. The ground shook when God spoke in a vision in Isaiah 6. The ground shook when Jesus' disciples prayed for boldness. And in response to their prayer, God filled the disciples with his spirit. He answered their prayer. God's presence and God's power was his answer. And God can answer our prayers for boldness in the same way. God can provide the freedom we need to speak truth in this opportunity that we call life. He can do this, church. God can face our obstacles and overcome them. And God can empower us to be who he's called us to be in this world. We are the light of the world. Just like Peter and John and all the other disciples were in Acts chapter 4. Here's how I want to end things today. I'm, I'm closing the service here. We're not going to do another song. I'm going to ask you to stand right now, okay? <clears throat> and I'm, going to, I'm asking you to stand because right now we are acknowledging God as sovereign Lord. And at the very least, we can stand out of reverence for that, right? And today we are going to stand before the Lord and... As I typically do, I'm going to give you a moment to do a little business with God. So let's close our eyes, bow our heads. And in this moment, you know your struggle with boldness. And I want to give you a minute here to address our sovereign Lord. And ask him to look upon your obstacles. To give you boldness, freedom. And to fill you with his spirit. And I think most of us need to do this right now. Will you do that please? Just do it in the quietness of your heart and mind right now. Sovereign Lord, you know the challenges we face. You know the obstacles that are holding us back from cheerfully and freely sharing the truth about Jesus. So I ask this morning, Father, on behalf of this whole church, Will you look upon our obstacles? Whatever those may be, whether they're external, whether it's people, circumstances, the current environment we live in, or maybe it's internal, maybe it's our own apathy, fear, insecurity, whatever it might be. God, will you look upon those obstacles that battle's yours. You deal with those. And I ask, Father, that you would give us as a church 
and as individuals, freedom from those obstacles to cheerfully declare, as we've heard this morning in the testimonies that we were able to share, the freedom, Lord, just to speak of who you are and all that you're doing in our lives. Knowing that there are so, so many that need the hope that comes with that story. And I ask, Father, that you would fill us to overflowing with the presence and power of your Holy Spirit. And that as we faithfully follow you into all the opportunities you've given us, we just ask that your Spirit would put the words in our mouths and your Spirit would speak as we faithfully open our mouths to make you known. As the disciples were so devoted to you back in the book of Acts, Lord, that's what we want as well. We want to be available and faithful in this transition that is life to be who you've called us to be, to do what you've called us to do, and to do it all by the power of your Holy Spirit. So Lord, accomplish this in us. Keep working in us. Fill us to overflowing. And may we carry out your will cheerfully, boldly, freely. I ask again, Father, for your blessing on the baptisms that are about to take place. We give these individuals to you and ask for, for your spirit to fall on them as well and just fill them to overflowing. Thank you for the time that you've given us together for the freedom to do this, for all that you provided to make this possible. We're yours. May your will be done and your kingdom come in the life of this church. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, your son. Amen. Grace and peace, Chapel Hill. We'll see you at the lake.